Good evening. We're going um, to bounce around the Bible a little bit, so hopefully you have a copy uh, because only one of the texts and a very brief one is going to be on the screen. The rest of them, hopefully you can read along with me or you'll just have to listen to me read them aloud. But we're going to start in John 9, uh, verses 1 through 3, and I'll just ask you to stand briefly while we read this uh, introductory text, uh, the, the focus text for this evening, and then um, I'll pray and we'll get started. John 9, verses 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Pray with me. Jesus, come to your word with trembling and fear, but also in great reverence and glory. Um, Thankful that it is more sure than even your audible voice as you tell us in your word. So speak to us clearly. I pray that uh, only the truth is spoken tonight and that your spirit would do his work. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Um, So Suzanne and I are two weeks away from our 19th wedding anniversary, uh, which is just an insane number to me, man. We're staring down the barrel of 20 years and um, 19 years has just flown by. Early in our marriage, um, we struggled with infertility, and something that I, I didn't know, but I know now, is an incredibly common struggle, an incredibly heartbreaking struggle for a lot of people. So we spent five plus years um, childless and, and wanting to have children. Um, so we learned about things like Clomid, and we learned about things like taking shots to get um, eggs to drop immediately. Uh, I mean, there were times where we had like charts and graphs all over our bedroom and every day we're plotting temperatures. And some of you have walked those paths before and know a little bit about what that's like, but uh, that's a long and lonely and painful season. It feels like everybody around you is pregnant all the time. Um, and that was, that was most of our married life in our 20s. Uh, there was a very minor laparoscopic procedure, and boom, we had four kids in five years after that, which was amazing, but also incredibly crazy. Uh, Suzanne was, was pregnant or nursing from October of 2008 until June of 2014. So that was a, uh, yeah, it's, it's an impressive stat, right? Um, so in January of 2010, Davis, our oldest, who's going to be 10 in uh, about four or five days, um, was six months old, and I was the only person at home. Suzanne and Davis had already left, and I'm in the bathroom, and I look in the, the uh, garbage can, and there's a pregnancy test. And I picked up the pregnancy test, and man, there's two lines on that thing. And a little legend right next to it says two lines means pregnant. I'm like, what in the world, man? She didn't tell me. Like, she did a pregnancy test this morning. It's positive, and she didn't tell me. So I called her. I uh, flipped open my phone, <laughs> punched in the numbers. Couldn't text her. I don't think it had a text screen. Um, and or either that or the text cost 25 cents each. I don't remember which way it was in 2010. But um, she had, like, looked at it, was impatient, and just tossed it and didn't know she was pregnant. So pretty rare I got to tell my wife she was pregnant like that's not something most husbands get to do usually the wife tells the husband but I I got to flip that for um for this one and that was uh that was Bryce that was Bryce man and 
uh, we went to um, ultrasounds were a nerve-wracking thing for us if you've ever battled infertility you know you know you, if you've been to one expecting to see heartbeat and you don't and, and just the the crushing weight of that everyone you go to from then on it doesn't matter if it's the next one or the fourth one after that there there's a there's a sense of foreboding as you go into that doctor's office and um, eight-week ultrasound everything's great heartbeat rocking and rolling we go to the 18-week ultrasound and where you find out gender and um, found out that that the baby had a cleft lip and man we were crushed we were just devastated and you look back on that from this side of things and you're like what a silly thing to be devastated about worst case scenario you're gonna have a you know a little plastic surgery done you're gonna have a maybe a little bit of a scar maybe a, a touch of a abnormality to your nose or your lip but man no big deal but I just remember we were so disappointed by that we had no idea of of future diagnoses that were coming Um, and then when Bryce was born we were smitten we were in love and that cleft didn't bother us at all Uh, in fact we came to miss it after they healed it up Um, we had this amazing picture of, of uh, Davis, who would have been about 14 months when he meets Bryce, puts his index finger right in that hole, right on his lip. It's the coolest picture. It's in our front room at home. Um, but then about two weeks after Bryce was born, he started having seizures, and uh, I didn't think he was having seizures. I thought he was just a baby, doing baby things, and my wife was like, no, that's a seizure. And I was like, chill out, woman. This is not a seizure. What's wrong with you? Thankfully, wiser mothers around were like, you need to go get that looked at. And of course, she was, she was right, and I was horribly wrong. And we started uh, hearing words like holoprosencephaly, diabetes, insipidus, cerebral palsy. We learned about drugs like desmopressin and clonopin and clonidine and baclofen, and uh, that's just about half of them. Um, so holoprosencephaly is a brain abnormality where the frontal lobes don't separate. So they're, they're joined inappropriately uh, developmentally as Bryce grew in his mother's womb so whole new world new normal every day Um, but we found this amazing community of families with children who have special needs and it's a huge community it is not small man there there are people everywhere who um, go through life with a child who has special needs and it's such a cool community and, and Mobile is a, a great place with a lot of opportunities for those kids but a quick aside while while all this was going on I want to tell you something that was profound in my spiritual journey and profound in my understanding of the scriptures and just a challenge for somebody who may need it Someone gave me, and I don't even know who it was. I need to look on the inside flap because I think it's written on it. Someone gave me, in my mid-20s, a chronological Bible. And as someone who set a goal every January since he was 12 to read through the whole Bible in a year and never, ever get it done, um, it was a great gift for me. Because for whatever reason, I mean, that clicked for me. And I read through that chronological Bible two or three times during those years of those later years of infertility and as we first started having children if you struggle to read the bible consistently give that a shot just take that as a challenge go buy a chronological bible it 
it opened up my eyes to the scriptures in a very profound way. It, it helped me see the big story so much clearer. It helped me understand who God is and helped me understand who man is a lot better. Um, there's just a challenge. Back, back to the special needs community. As I've walked in this community, I've basically met three families um, in how they view the world after a diagnosis like that. And the first family says there's no God. And what, what, what happened here is a biological error. Um, there's, there's no meaning to it. There's no purpose to it. It just, it just kind of happens. It's uh, nature throwing a curveball. Tough things happen. Um, really just nature in its, in its cruelest state. Uh, you know, when I meet that family, I, I can't use the scriptures to convince them otherwise because the scriptures, um, at least initially, until we have maybe a better relationship, the scriptures aren't going to mean much to them. They, they don't believe the scriptures. They don't see any truth in the scriptures. Um, but I can tell you the effects I've seen of this mentality. Uh, so pro-choice bioethicist and New York Times columnist Chris Capozzi, who I read an article on this week, he cites that 67% is the abortion rate in the U.S. for a diagnosis of Down syndrome in utero, 67%. Um, that's coming from uh, a pro-choice bioethicist. The focus on the family survey says it's closer to 80%, and I see that as the result of a society that says there's no God, and there's no purpose, there's no meaning in this life, there's no value in it. It's better off dead. In the UK, that number is 90%. And the Down syndrome has a higher population, so there's a lot of studies on abortion rates in Down syndrome. There are not any on holoprosencephaly because it's such a small uh, population size. Um, Iceland which, I mean, I know where it is, but I don't know much else about it. But I know this, in Iceland, it's 100%. It's 100%. And their National Institute of Health in Iceland brags that they have eradicated Down syndrome from their population. It's a source of pride for them. And that crushes my soul. That devastates me. So that's, that's the first group of people. And what a hopeless way to hold your child and, and know the, the difficulties they will have and not have any hope or joy or know of a purpose for their existence. There's a second group. And this is probably 80, 90% of the people I meet in the community. And um, these people I do enjoy having conversation with. And I enjoy trying to just open up and share a little bit about how, how the Lord has showed me some things in his word. Because they believe in God. They would identify as Christians. But in their view of God, they say, God is a good God. He doesn't make people disabled. This is just something that happens... I guess they think outside of him. 
because the God they believe in wouldn't do that. He wouldn't make someone with those difficulties. So let's leave John 9 for just a minute because these are the two things that the Lord showed me early on. Um, and the first one is in Psalm 139. I want you to turn there because I'm, uh, I'm going to read a good bit of it. And there's a couple of uh, T-shirt, coffee cup, bumper sticker verses in here that you've certainly heard before. Um, but I want to read from the beginning of Psalm 139. Uh, the meat of it that's applicable tonight is verses 13 and 14. But if you read, if you read the opening part of the psalm, man, it is so beautiful in its depiction of how big God is and how he orchestrates everything for his glory and our good. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So, again, you have those, those familiar verses in verses 13 and 14. Man, the, the weight of God's sovereignty and governance over our lives, um, His handiwork and the details of your creation, the imagery of being knit together inside the womb. That means every sinew, every artery that gets smaller into a capillary, every nerve that goes from your spinal cord out to your body, the perfection with which that must be accomplished. One of the things that blows me away about my son is how much of him is perfect. His hands look perfect. His feet look perfect. His knees, all of his bones formed perfectly. His eyes, per the, the, the magic of the eye and, and it being made perfectly. But also his brain, and those parts in his frontal lobes where they connect, that was knit into him. That was intricately woven into his existence. But that's a little poetic. It's a little bit uh, obtuse, maybe even. It's pretty. I love Exodus 4 because it's blunt and hard. It's very concrete. It's black and white. 
and it's Jehovah the Lord speaking to Moses with quotation marks. So here's what's going on. Moses has been exiled. Um, He left because he's guilty of manslaughter, maybe even murder. He murdered an Egyptian and he had to leave town. He's wandering and comes upon a burning bush. God introduces himself and he says, I am. That's who I am. I am. Jehovah. And he commissions Moses. He says, you're going to go back to Egypt. You're going to get my people and you're going to leave. And Moses says, God, they'll think I'm crazy. If I go back and say, I've met a guy in a burning bush and he said to come do this, they will think I'm nuts. So God says, all right, I'm going to give you three miracles that you'll have the power to do to prove to them that I sent you. You're going to be able to turn a rod into a snake, pick it back up, and it'll be a rod again. You'll be able to turn your hand into a leprous, diseased mess and then heal it just as quickly. You'll be able to turn water from the Nile into blood. And when you show these things to the people, and he did all of them. Moses did all of them right there. God showed him, you'll be able to do this. When you show these things to the people, they will believe you. Moses is a little stubborn still. Still doesn't believe that he can get this done. And he says, but God, I, I don't speak good. I don't talk real well. I don't really know. No one knows that he stutter, um, what the real issue was, but it was a legitimate deal that Moses had. He didn't speak well. Speak well. I don't either sometimes. Um, here's what God said to him. I'm in Exodus 4, uh, and we're in verses 10 through 12. Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? That's clear as day to me. And as the father of a mute boy, man, when you read that, that can, that can come across like a heavyweight boxer's right hook and just smack you right in the jaw because it's, it's plain. Who makes man's mouth? Who makes man mute? Who makes him deaf? Who makes him blind or seeing? It's I, says the Lord. Now go, Moses, because I'm doing this work, not you. In fact, I believe, from what I just read, God says, I I purposely made your mouth that way. I did that by design. I intricately wove that character trait of yours into you so that in this moment, it's very clear who's speaking to those people of Israel. And it ain't you, Moses. It's me. Because you couldn't do this. Because I gave you a jacked up mouth. And now you're going to go and lead the people out of, the, out of slavery. 400 years of it. So I like to share those things um, with, uh, with people to encourage them. It encourages me. I, I don't know that it's encouraging to everybody. I don't know that it, it lands as well with some. Um, But to me, it gives me great peace that anything that seems as a difficulty, specifically talking now about a a child and the way he's born, is purposed. 
It's designed. So the Jews would have known this. I just read to you things that Jesus' followers would have been well aware of. The Pharisees would have known this. And we arrive back at John 9 with the disciples basically asking Jesus, hey, this guy born blind, why? We know that you make him this way. Why? Why does Jesus create children born blind or deaf or with Down syndrome or with genetic conditions or with holoprosencephaly? Their premise that you can see in the way they phrase the question, Rabbi, who sinned? Whose fault was it? Was it this guy himself or was it his parents that caused him to be born blind? It was taught in the synagogues that if you were born blind, if you were born disabled, you were born cursed. And you were born cursed because probably of your parents' sin or your parents' parents' sin. But they even believed, I guess, that this dude could ascend in the womb. This is evident in verse 34, the Pharisees, and when, when, they, when they talk to this man multiple times because they don't want to believe that he was healed. They say, you were born in utter sin, implying that's why you were blind in the first place, man. So their premise is karma is the ultimate determiner of our fate. Their premise is that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. Um, and man, this crawls into my mindset all the time. I see this in the way I interact with the world all the time. Karma creeps in. Um, and, and it's so silly because I've, I've read the scriptures and I know that karma is a joke. It's a lie. It's not a thing. I know who runs the show. And it, it only takes like just a dash of logic and you can completely deconstruct karma because people who, th there are people who eat kale and carrots and run marathons and they die young of cancer. And there are also, has everybody always heard this story? Like when you're a teenager and people were smoking and you'd be like, hey, you shouldn't do that, that's bad. Like, My grandmother smoked two packs a day and she lived till she was 95, right? Did everybody have a friend with that grandmother? Okay, so I assume there are actually grandmothers who smoke two packs a day, drink vodka for breakfast, and live into their 90s, right? So karma wouldn't allow for either of those. Um, the honest and humble, they get laid off while the wicked ascend in power. Uh, the guilty are acquitted. If the glove does not fit, you must acquit, in fact. And the innocent are executed for crimes they didn't commit. This is my favorite book of the Bible that I'm basically paraphrasing to you, and it's the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, which does a fantastic job of just blowing up the idea of karma. But the disciples are kind of trapped in it. They're like, Jesus, who's, what caused this? Was it, his, it, was, ah, it was his parents' sin. What, his dad did that thing that time. I remember hearing about it. And so his kid gets born blind because of that. That's why. Man, think about just one more karma buster. 
the, the most powerful king of Israel? David or Solomon? Let's just go Solomon. Let's just go Solomon for argument's sake. How about that dude's birth? Right? Born in adultery with his mother's husband murdered by the adulterer? I mean, it seems like that guy would have been born under a curse, right? But no, he builds the temple. He builds the temple of God. So, karma buster. Um, I'll tell you why we want karma to be true. I, I wish it was, man. I want it to be because it, it gives me a lot of control. Man, it puts me squarely in control of the next two weeks. Because, man, if I can just do some, if I can just be really good, then it's all going to be good. It's all going to be good for me. Uh, we want to be controlled, but of course we're not. And the answer that Jesus gives to his disciples, um, his, his answer leads me to the third possibility, with the first being there's no God, the second being there is a God, but he's good, he doesn't do this. And hopefully the, the text I've read at least starts you on a journey of seeing that is not the case. But the third one, that God in his goodness specifically and purposefully creates those he loves with these circumstances and your circumstances, whatever they are, for their good, more importantly, for his glory, and so that what Jesus tells his disciples, that the works of God may be displayed in them. That's why. That's why that happens. That's why that, that knitting together happens. So this works of God idea, I mean, what is that? I will confess to you plainly I see with a veil over my face what the works of God are in disability sometimes I get little glimmers every now and again where I can see oh that's that's the works of God playing out that's the works of God being accomplished through that child that family this kid that kid but it's veiled man it it's a mystery it is not something I see clearly. But I think there are four, I think there are four pretty concrete things that we can see in this man's life that were the works of God for him. The first is this. This man got healed, right? Imagine his birthday, the man born blind. His birthday, his parents are, like any parents, excited, overjoyed, and immediately followed by overwhelming sorrow. His eyes are, are cloudy. Uh, they're, they're blind. Um, he's going to be an outcast. He's going to be viewed as a curse in his community. Uh, his life's going to be very hard. He's going to be a beggar. He will not be able to do anything typical for himself. He will be alone. He will be helpless and utterly unable to save himself from his situation. And his parents would have known this from day one. But his creator, the one who makes him this way, knows that decades later, his Savior will encounter him on the side of the road. He'll spit on the ground. He'll make some mud and rub it on his eyes. He'll send him to a pool and say, wash it off. And when he does that, he's going to open his eyes and he's going to be healed, and he's going to see. 
Have you seen those viral videos of the people who, who have color blindness and they make some kind of fancy tech glasses now where they can see color and they see color for the first time and it goes viral man because they they're amazed they start crying because they've never seen a green tree before it's just been black and white or or however that works because I don't really know imagine this man washing that water off his eyes I don't know how old he is but he's grown he's an adult and he's never seen a thing and now he sees. Verses 24 and 25 of John 9. I mean, I love this text. So for the second time, they called the man. This is the Pharisees interrogating him. How did this happen? They called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, talking about Jesus. And he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know. I was blind, now I see. That's the works of God being displayed in his life. So when the, fair, when, the, when the disciples asked, why was this man born blind? It was for this day. It was for this day for him to be healed and for the world to see it. And I would say the works of God are still displayed in his healing tonight. Centuries later, we're reading his story. We're teaching his life. The works of God on display from the man born blind. Um, there's one, physical healing. Another work of God that's evident to me is that because of this, because this man was born blind and healed, there's a revelation to this town of Jesus as the Messiah. So the Pharisees say Jesus is a sinner for healing him on the Sabbath, which was one of their go-to things. Man, they were always looking for Jesus to do something on the Sabbath because if he was truly the Messiah... He wouldn't be breaking that, that law of working on the Sabbath and doing things on the Sabbath. Um, but it says that other people in the community, in verse 16, said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? So the people who witnessed this, they knew better. They knew he was the Messiah. And the man, tells, the man who was born blind and healed tells the Pharisees he is a prophet. Verses 32 and 34, he says, Never since the world began, has a man born blind had his eyes opened? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Works of God. Jesus is the Messiah. The third one that's evident is, is this man's salvation is secured through this. Is it worth 20 or 30 years of blindness to have your soul saved for eternity? What would it gain a man to accomplish the whole world, his sight included, if his soul perishes? Um, it's, it's clear this man comes to faith in Christ, verses 35 through 38. When Jesus heard they had cast him out, he found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him. Think about that. You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. This man received his vision but honestly, he seems to be the exception, right? Men born blind typically die that way. Children born with crippling diseases or genetic abnormalities never walk, and they die with those same conditions. Um, so what are the works of God in those? I don't know for sure, but I know one. I know that the day comes for them, for those who believe, 
for all things to be made new. And I'm going to read to you in, in closing my favorite chapter in the Bible. And it's Isaiah 35. So go there with me, because this is where we'll finish up. Isaiah 35 is this beautiful chapter, this beautiful text on redemption. And I will most certainly, if I don't have a voice crack while reading it, it'll be the first time ever that that's happened when I read this. And I read it often. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunts of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. And the unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And man, I hope and long for that day. It's my greatest hope. For my boy, absolutely. Man, I want to see his mute mouth sing with joy. I want to see his weak knees made strong. I want to see his lame legs leap like a deer. Man, there's the gospel all in that. The gospel just screams at me because I was born blind. I couldn't see the Father. You were born with lame legs. You couldn't run to Jesus. You couldn't carry yourself to Him. I was born deaf. I couldn't hear the good news of Jesus. You and I were completely helpless, completely dead in our sins, and an enemy of God. Man, He, he reached down and He put some mud on my eyes. And He said, see and he unstopped my ears and he said, hear the truth of my word. And he touched my legs and he said, go. Teach them all that I've commanded you. Make disciples of them. Baptize, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I was just as helpless and, and a beggar as that man was before Jesus found me and opened my eyes. And when I see a child who is in a wheelchair or on a, on a vent or catheterized or on a feeding tube and they look helpless. I swear to you, every time I think that was me. And that was me and that's everybody I'm walking around. 
and Jesus rescues. For those bodies, that day's coming. But again, that, that's just temporary, man. The eternality of our souls and our spirits and the work Jesus did, that's the miracle. That's the greater miracle. And Jesus said that when he healed the lame man, that the guys lowered down through the roof. Remember that? He said, you're astounded that I healed his legs, man. I'm forgiven sins. That's the great glory. Thank you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you again for your word. Thank you for um, creating a man born blind and leaving him blind for 30 years. 25 years, however long he lay there. Thank you that, that he was helpless, cast out by society, could do nothing for himself, and he was a beggar until you walked by, until you invaded his life and you told him to see, and to see you, and you saved him on that day. Thank you for making Moses' mouth so that he didn't speak well, so that you could tell him that it is you that did that. Thank you for intricately weaving and knitting together everybody in this room for your glory and so that the the works of God can be displayed until your kingdom comes fully and anew and all things are made perfect again.